0: Hey, good morning, Dr. Jill. Good morning, Lee. How are you today? I am doing well, and how about you? I am very well, thank you. Okay, so last week we talked a lot about colon cancer screening and colon cancer in general, and and we sort of ended with uh, dietary influences on colon cancer, and you had a little bit more to add?
1: I do. Diets can have significant impact on colon cancer risk, you know, as they can on any other chronic illness that we deal with. Diets high in red and processed meats and mostly uh, processed meats, like they just, there's just junk in them and those can, there you know, chemicals in there that can damage cells in the colon. And, and there is some, there's been studies that have shown that consuming a diet high in red and processed meat has been linked to an increased risk for colon cancer. Yeah.
0: You know, the thing I wonder about with that, Dr. Jill, is the red meat that is mostly available to us is also pretty highly processed. You
1: know, it's no, not... Yeah, I think exactly. It's like if you're buying your... If you are buying meat, whatever meat at the grocery store, and you're not buying grass fed or... Organic. You know, organic, like really paying attention to the quality of meat that you... Are purchasing and eating, like, yeah, that's it's, it's a literal health risk,
0: right. or what's the comparison with eating moose meat? you know which yeah, is us yeah, okay,
1: I, I think that that would be less like you know less of an issue, and it's kind of like like uh, bison, lamb, like some of those things because they're just not generally as conventionally grown, okay, and that's where the problem comes in is with that conventional farming
0: that's really. that that's not been proven per se but that's uh correct a bias that you and I both have yes okay yeah, yeah no
1: i would say that's definitely a bias that i have and you know we we may or may not see data on that i mean hopefully we will but uh, it doesn't behoove those who support that sort of agriculture or meat growing that uh we study those things
0: right right okay so Anyway, red and processed meat, particularly yep. conventional, we know is a risk factor. Eating a lot of it, or some amount, is a risk factor for de- factor for developing colon cancer.
1: Sure, uh, fiber. So diets. If we the more fiber that we get in our diet, whether it's from fruits, vegetables, whole grains, it reduces your risk of colon cancer. Mm-hmm. So. I mean that the, some of that fiber, you know, when we have those insoluble fibers, that's the little scrubby brush we're pushing through our colon to clean things up. So fiber is very, very important. Fruits and vegetables, fruits and vegetables, obviously from a fiber standpoint, but also uh, from an antioxidant standpoint, which we've spoken about in the past. Like it's all those colors, and it just helps protect cells from damage. And so, so fruits and vegetables really, really important. Alcohol consumption. You know, I would say high alcohol consumption is going to increase your risk of, of colon cancer as, as well as many other uh, chronic medical issues. And uh, obesity is a risk factor for, for colon cancer. So eating, you know, high caloric density but low nutritional density foods, so, which is our, you know, fast food and processed foods. Okay. Which is mostly what our grocery stores are filled with right now. Yes. Nutritionally void, calorically dense food. So yeah, that is, uh, that's just talking a little bit about you know, our, our food and what can we do. So we can be mindful of red and processed meat in our diet. It doesn't mean you can't have any by any stretch of the means. But I probably wouldn't rely on that solely for, for protein sources. And high fiber fruits and vegetables, be very mindful of your alcohol consumption and, and our weight in general. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome.
0: All right. So we're going to continue talking about things with the digestive tract. And our, and our one last topic is irritable bowel syndrome,
1: IBS. Yes. IBS. So this is, I think this is a term that most people are very familiar with. IBS is basically a functional gastrointestinal disorder, uh, mainly affecting the large intestine. And people come in, like this, this ends up, IBS is kind of a garbage dump of a term, in a sense, because we can kind of say like, oh, you have belly pain, bloating, gas, maybe changes in your bowels, diarrhea, constipation. Oh, you have IBS. Well, and and that might be the case, but uh, I think it's really, really imperative before you are okay with having a diagnosis of IBS that we've ruled out. Make sure we rule out inflammatory bowel disease, other issues uh, or infections or dysbiosis, you know, all these other things that we have been talking about over the last, you know, month really. We need to rule all those things out before we go, oh, it's IBS.
0: Okay. And we've just talked about all those things, and now we're left with
1: IBS. That's perfect, Dr. Jill. Right. Well, and, you know, so we don't—the the cause is—could be a, a combination of things. We're, we're not exactly sure, but, like, is it, you know, muscle contractions, inflammation, changes in the gut microbiome? And I would say, like, in conventional medicine, we'll say, I don't know— uh, yeah, that's probably what it is. Certainly, stress can play a role in it. Diet, but I would also kind of reverse hack that and go, all right, what foods are an issue? What can we do about stress? Should we be testing your microbiome? You know, there's. It's interesting. There is no single test for IBS. Like there isn't one, and so, so that's the challenge.
0: So it's. We don't know what else it is, but you have a problem with your digest, with your colon. So therefore, it's IBS. Is that?
1: That's kind of what happens. Like we don't know what's going on, so you must have irritable bowel syndrome. Okay. So <laughs> let me tell you, there there is a, so there's a symptom complex, and so sometimes when we do not have a test that says, "Yep, that's it," we we develop criteria around these things, right? So there is something called the Rome criteria. And this was, you know, this is a group of international experts that were trying to standardize IBS. So what, what is IBS based on presence of recurrent abdominal pain or discomfort that has to be present for at least three days a month in the last three months associated with two or more of the following. Pain or discomfort improves with defecation, so pooping. Mm -hmm. Onset is associated with a change in frequency of stool, or onset is associated with a change in the form or the appearance of stool. So when you have those symptoms for at least three days a month in the last three months, and you don't have any other structural or metabolic abnormality that can explain those symptoms, then then you might be told you have IBS. Irritable Bowel Syndrome,
0: and then what do you do? What is the treatment plan at well, that point? This is the fun this is, part.
1: This is this, is, this is, that's a brilliant question. We have to talk about the subtypes of IBS first. Okay. So you can have Irritable Bowel Syndrome with constipation. So that's and, and by definition, that's having less than three bowel movements per week.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can have IBS with Diarrhea, which is looser, watery stools at least three times a day. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You can have mixed, which, as you can imagine, is a mix of constipation and diarrhea. One symptom is generally more predominant than the other. And then you can have unsubtyped IBS. So it's IBS-U. Like, we don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that is when somebody has symptoms of IBS, but they don't fit into any of the other subtypes or they fit into more than one. So then we go, well, what do we do? And there are like many, so we'll kind of talk about this in terms of like conventional standard treatments and then some other integrative treatments. And if we're looking at conventional treatments, like dietary changes. We have people avoid certain foods that can trigger their i b s, and often if we if we discuss this and there's a little we do a little bit of tracking, a lot of times we can figure out like, "Oh, it's fatty foods or it's alcohol or it's dairy or whatever you know seems to cause more issues. Medications can be used you know to manage things like if you know if you need laxatives or antidiarrheals or antispasmodics, actually counseling like cognitive behavioral therapy and hypnotherapy, like especially if stress and anxiety are worsening these. And uh, probiotics can help as well. When we look at integrative kind of therapies to help, uh, acupuncture can be helpful. There are herbal remedies, like thinking about like peppermint, fennel, ginger, those kind of things can help with uh, digestive symptoms and and many, many other pending what your symptoms are. Uh, yoga can be helpful in terms of stress and well-being. And then uh, the other, and I would say this is conventional and uh, integrative, like some of these nutraceuticals or dietary supplements like, you know, psyllium, magnesium, peppermint oil, those kind of things can be very helpful as well.
0: What about, we've talked about bitters in the past. Are they helpful as well? Uh-huh. Or
1: You know, I would say I think that that's a reasonable approach I would definitely think about that with constipation, Okay, just because bitters are starting that digestive process. But to me, that's where where also like we really have a lot of things to rule out before we just say, oh, this is IBS, if that makes sense. You know, so like is, is there are there other digestive issues going on that we need to address? So it's IBS like, but if we fix your dysbiosis or, you know, if we address something else, does that go away? So then it wasn't really IBS, it was dysbiosis, Okay, that makes sense. Uh-huh. So yeah, it's really important though, like before, before we say like, oh, you have IBS, like we've, we kind of rule, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't want to tag somebody with IBS and then realize 15 years later, it was actually inflammatory bowel disease, you know, like so there's just, there's things that we've got to look at and pending your age, you know, this might be one of those triggers to get like a colonoscopy. To make sure there's not something else structurally that we're missing.
0: So what I'm what I'm hearing from you is if you get a diagnosis of IBS from your practitioner, if one does, uh, make sure everything else is
1: ruled out. Yeah, I think that that's super important. Right. I mean, it's not. I don't. You know, I'd hate to see it be used more as a flippant diagnosis, like, meh, that's IBS." You know, like, if if you've just had a colonoscopy in the last five years, you know, there's just a lot of things to look at before. I'd be like, ah, it's nothing, it's just IBS. And and I think most providers know that. So hopefully if that is the case, like, if you have changes or you've had chronic issues and you've not had further workup, that's, to me, that would be very important. Mm -hmm. And so long-term consequences or complications of IBS, I mean, it's generally not a life-threatening condition, but as you can imagine, if you have IBS with diarrhea or mixed or constipation, either way, it, it can really impact a quality of life for sure. Uh, malnutrition is an issue because diarrhea and constipation, pending what kind of motility you have in your bowel, are you absorbing nutrients? Mm-hmm. So I would think about malnutrition. Uh, hemorrhoids, nobody wants hemorrhoids. Lots mm-hmm. of people have hemorrhoids, but if you're straining, that can be an issue. Anxiety and depression. A lot of people, you know, when you're dealing with IBS kind of stuff, because 70% of our neurotransmitters, so all of those neurochemicals are happy, happy chemicals are made in our gut. So often I will see if people are having different gut issues, like that it takes a mental toll as well. So once, usually when we can correct that or, or ease anxiety, we can improve gut function. And the other thing to think about is just the increased cost associated with it. Mm-hmm. More, you know, more frequent medical appointments, tests, treatments, right. those kind of things are other, you know, there are other things to think about in terms of long-term potential complications.
0: Okay. That's fascinating, Dr. Jill.
1: It, it, it is fascinating. Uh-huh. Our our, our uh, GI system is very fascinating.
0: Right. Yes, and we have been talking about our GI system for weeks. On January 23rd, we talked about fiber. On January 30th, we talked about fiber and juice. February 6th, we talked about constipation, and then we talked about dysbiosis on February 13th, and then inflammatory bowel disease on the 20th 20th and then colon cancer and colon cancer screening last week it's like it is a complex system
1: it is but you know it's a vital system for us it turns out
0: (laughs) right well it's it's about time to wrap up this segment is there anything else you want to add
1: no I think uh, you know the biggest thing I'd say is you know eat a wide variety of things lots of different colors and also move you know, get out and walk or lift weights and do yoga and and whatever you need to do to manage stress and uh, live your best life.
0: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Jill.
1: Thank you. Have a great week.
0: You too. Bye.